brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello and welcome to another spine-tingling tale of the supernatural. Today I take you on a journey deep beneath the ocean's surface to a hidden city, Lumira, where delicate beauty converges with unforeseen danger in a mesmerizing narrative of a sunken civilization and its gently lit guardians. This is your weekly dose of the real world, guys, where the boundaries of reality are tested and the unseen forces reveal their malevolent presence. Brace yourself for a story of intrigue and otherworldly wonder that will transport you into the depths of marine mysteries and treachery. As always, I am the ghost, a dark operative on the dark web, specializing in the mysterious and outrageous. Join me and the team as we dive deep into a deep abyss, uncovering secrets of Lumira while battling treachery and betrayal from unexpected quarters. And okay, here is that request. Subject Uncharted Territory, Mystery Discoveries in Ocean's Abyss. Dear Ghost, I'm Dr. Natalie Simmons, the lead marine archaeologist of the Poseidon Deep Sea Exploration Team. Our recent mapping expedition of a remote ocean trench revealed something unprecedented. Initial sonar scans suggested the presence of vast ruins, possibly hinting at a sunken city. But on deploying divers equipped with high-resolution cameras, we saw no ruins. Instead, we occasionally captured elusive shadows and some distorted figures. It's like they're there, but also not there, if that makes any sense. The most baffling aspect, one of our divers swears he saw a humanoid light figure barely there, but he felt as though he was gazing right back at him. But then, just as quickly as he saw this image, it vanished, leaving only a shimmer in its wake. Given the bizarre nature of this situation and the potential implications, we believe you are the only one equipped to understand and engage with what might be residing in these waters. Can we count on your expertise to solve this mystery? Eagerly waiting your response. Dr. Natalie Simmons. Now, I have to tell you guys, this job was unique in all ways. And I have to tell you that in order to be able to share this with you, the names and the locations have either been changed or concealed due to the nature of the story and the agreement on this job. But I can tell you, since many of you are going to wonder, this did not happen in the Mariana Trench. And, you know, a lot of times I will give you a location. I always have to change the names because 
every one of these people I'm involved in on these jobs, they have to be discreet, as you can understand. But in this case, with this job, I have to do it on an extra level. I really can't tell you much other than it's in the ocean. Okay, with that, let's get to it. So I read that request more than once, as I often do. Gets my mind going around what the requester is asking. And in doing that with this request, there was just something about this situation and the area that it's in. And even though it was pretty late, I start scrambling and I'm looking at these maps and the location of her event. And so you guys know we have all kinds of storage and that's actually how the warehouse started. We have the whole place and although we take a lot of it now for our work and partly residential and living, we also have the storage, map rooms, documents, images, albums, all kinds of things under a lot of security. I mean, we have offsite things as well and digital backups and things like that, of course we do. But we do keep things in the warehouse so that we have a small library of sorts that we can look to when we need to. And that night was one of those times. But okay, I'm going through the maps and then finally I find something. One of them is a mythos map. And if you don't know what that is, it's pretty obvious. It's sometimes called a legends map, but basically a map that charts tales and mysteries and legendary events rather than, you know, typical geographical features. And we have a lot of these kinds of maps. And on one of them, I see it, Lumira. So now this really could mean something. And now I also know that I'm not going to be able to sleep until I looked into this more. The area that she is talking about in this request, Dr. Simmons, is where this Lumira is. Now I'm in the warehouse. Everyone else had either gone home or, you know, retreated to their room at the warehouse. But I start to dig. I wanted to know more about Lumira. And I was sure that we had more information about it. You know, I kind of remembered it. And so I went hunting. I started with the drawers on my desk, old notes, scribbled thoughts, remnants from past jobs, but nothing. So I'm getting more frustrated. I know we have stuff on this. So I moved to the bookshelves, meticulously scanning titles and flipping through the pages, the weight of the night pressing in. And just as my patience began to wane and I considered grabbing some caffeine to refuel, I find this small old chest of ours, sort of tucked away beneath some other items in the room I was in, which was, had it held a lot of our older stuff. So, the, you know, the more, the farther I went, you know, the more I got. So I find this. Obviously, we don't go through our archives every day. So some of it hasn't been touched in years. And this chest was one of those items. So I wipe it clean and I gently lift the lid. And inside I find, you know, an assortment of scrolls, leather bound diaries, old worn out maps. And then there it was, a teal colored journal with intricate silver line work. That is what I was looking for. I couldn't remember it exactly, but I just kept thinking and I felt like I had more on Lumira and here it was, this journal. And this journal held a detailed account of Lumira as folklore would have it. And for you, here is that legend. Written in a style that blended, I don't know, the scientific with the poetic. This journal talked of a great calamity of a once thriving city that had been swallowed by the sea. However, instead of succumbing to oblivion, the inhabitants underwent a profound metamorphosis. The journal spoke of a luminous aura, an ethereal glow that concealed Lumira from the prying eyes of the world. Bathed in this radiant protection, the Aqua City and its citizens flourished 
in silence, evolving over millennia into entities that defied the boundaries between terrestrial and marine life. And part of it said, hold on, I have this for you. Lumira, the city of shimmering depths, where walls glow with stories and streets hum with songs of old. A paradise lost to time, yet alive with magic. Its inhabitants, a testament to nature's will to survive and adapt, bound by a mystical melody, they exist unseen, untouched, waiting for the day their tale would resurface. Now, when I first read that journal that night, or early morning as it became, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I mean, could it be? Is this what Dr. Simmons found? Could it be that this story, that even I haven't heard about in a long time, could be true? Well, I mean, after everything that we have seen, it certainly could be true. It's just that for us, we never hear anything that could even come close to corroborating this particular story, until now, that is. I mean, could this requester have seen a glimpse into Lumira? Well, to consider this, I'd have to consider that Lumira is real and not just some legend or story, you know, one of those meant to teach people that you can get through hard times. After all of that, okay, after I figure all this out, it's early in the morning, too early for anyone else to be up, but also morning enough where I can't go to bed at that point. So I start making coffee and getting ready for a new day. I hit the showers and I get ready to convene with the team once the morning really, you know, gets kicked off. And sure enough, my team eventually starts to gather at the warehouse. They're either waking up or showing up and coming over for coffee. I let them know and fill them in about the request that we received the night before. And we all agree, this is worth checking out. And I let Dr. Natalie Simmons know that I've received her request. And it's not long before her and I meet in person. As the sun was going down that Thursday night, I made my way over to Dr. Simmons' office. Nestled within a prominent research institution, the building loomed with an aura of knowledge and discovery. With most researchers gone for the day, it was pretty quiet around there. You know, something Dr. Simmons planned for, I'd imagined. I knocked softly on the partially open door and Dr. Simmons ushered me into her office. It's kind of dimly lit. I look around, you know, there's charts and maps and sonar images everywhere. Welcome, you know, to the world of research. I sit down, we introduce ourselves, and she gets started. With a deep sigh, she began telling me and detailing the recent expedition that they were on. They had been mapping a remote, unexplored trench, something much grander, you know, a sprawling cityscape concealed by the ocean's depth. So this would have been a really great find. With her team's, you know, state-of-the-art equipment, they captured high-resolution images, but the photos were perplexing. They didn't show runes or identifiable structures. Instead, they revealed fleeting shadows, distorted figures, and hints of bioluminescent glow. One set of images even suggested a humanoid silhouette just on the edge of perception. And this is what she mentioned in the request. Her voice faltered as she recalled one of her diver's repeated accounts of feeling an intense gaze upon him from the depths. Turning, however, he Thought he caught sight of something, a glow, but as quickly as he'd think he'd see something, it was gone. And this happened more than once, but just with this one diver. Well, the more Dr. Simmons delved into the findings, the more she felt drawn to Lumera's legend. Could this be the fabled city? 
I mean, she was thinking the same thing. The similarities here were too uncanny to ignore. And if so, she needed to know. Simple as that. It wasn't for fame or recognition, but to satiate a deep and personal need to understand our past and how it ties to the present. You know, that's how she got into archaeology in the first place. She looked to me. Her eyes were filled with hope and urgency. She had the resources, the evidence, and the determination, but she could not do this. I mean, not in her position. First of all, she had no idea where to begin. The whole topic was delicate, and anything she might really find would be under a major microscope. But she didn't want to leave this expedition, just leave it where it is, unanswered. Instead, she wanted a guide, someone to navigate the line between science and myth, and do it discreetly. She was entrusting me with a story potentially older than time, waiting to be unraveled, but something that also needed to be protected. I stayed there for a while as we quietly discussed her personal thoughts and more of the details she thought would be useful, and then I shared with her my thoughts about it and my thoughts about the possibility of Lumira. Being who she is and with her history, it was not a shock for her to tell me, you know, that she was familiar with this legend. I think it was more of a surprise to her that I was. But this was all a good thing, and it made things even more promising that we were on the right track. So on the same page, we wrap up the meeting, and I let her know that I will accept the job, and I'm going to go back and assemble my team. I get back to the warehouse and the team, you know, they're anxiously waiting to hear how things went, and I tell them all about what I learned from Dr. Simmons. And they're fascinated, and they all want in. And as with any diving jobs that we do, we will all go, but we're going to be broken up into a few necessary jobs, and we'll work out the details at a little bit of a later time. But now they're filled in about the doctor, her expeditions, the images, her work, what the whole research center does, and where Dr. Simmons' interests lie. All important. We will be set up in a few different ways, like I said. So it's typical, though, how we handle a deep dive. For one, we're going to have our dive team. Then we'll have our vessel team. And then finally, like always, I like to have that one person or more on the fringe on a job like this. So I will leave one person on land as a backup in case of emergencies. And when it was all figured out, it was decided that I would take Harley, Jagger, and Frankie with me as the divers. As a team, we're going to be the ones responsible for the actual deep dive. Ryder's going to stay on as part of the vessel team. Simmons will also be on this vessel, and she's bringing her trusted team member as part of this observation. And then Scarlett will be the one manning the shore station. We are going to be using deep dive suits, good with, you know, high pressures, cold temperatures, and things like that. And then we're also going to have our weighted dive boots on. And these will be key, of course, as we'll want to walk on the ocean floor rather than float above it. And of course, one of the biggest pieces that we wanted to bring from our camp were the communication devices, because this part is crucial to how we work. And our developers got us set up nicely, you know, in that department with these devices that combine sonar-based messaging with traditional audio as we know it. And this means that we would be able to communicate effectively at the depth required for this dive. Now, typically, this might be some sort of research mission for Dr. Simmons, but what we're really doing here is collecting enough data so that for Simmons, this legend can be proven. And hey, proven for us too. That is what, though, she's looking for here. The proof. She wants to prove that her work and trying to understand the past 
has merit, that there is a reason we look to the past. And the reason is because so many great things happened before us. This is a different kind of job, guys, and I kind of said that earlier. This job is really about exploration to either prove or disprove what we think we know. This is how, as a generation and as a people, we get more knowledgeable and know more about our world. I mean, truth or legend? We shall find out. Simmons is keeping this dive pretty much under wraps, except for anyone that she brings in with her, and I can understand why. If she were to make this known right off the bat, can you even imagine what would descend upon this mission? It would be a circus of the worst kind. And leaks like that, especially if you're not even sure there's anything there, can be very dangerous for the world and impactful in negative ways. Panic, people rushing to the area. This was a big deal and Simmons was well known, and she still is. And as such, and as we got closer to the dive, you know, her mood kind of changed a little bit. It was a mix of both anticipation and apprehension. And I understood this. Okay, well, on to the dive. It was dawn, and we were on our custom-designed vessel. This is a sleek black vessel that basically just sort of glides through the waters, barely making a ripple. So Ryder reviewed all the onboard systems. You know, she wanted to know all about it. She's seen it before. We've all worked on it before. But, you know, she's reviewing it all, making sure she knows all the ins and outs. And, you know, if any of you are wondering, you know, out there why I picked Ryder to stay on this vessel... You know, even though each of my team members has a different background, over time we have all learned a lot of the skills that today we now all share. We need it that way so that any one of us can fill in on any role at any time. And, you know, it doesn't always work as good as you would hope. I mean, we're not all Frankie if a threat comes our way, but we can all still take care of ourselves. We are all very well trained. Some of us are better at some things than others. But we can all handle being a fill-in if we have to. We are always each other's backups. And I completely trust Ryder on this vessel, and so does everyone else on the team. As we go, we're all focused as ever, of course, cross-referencing the coordinates we had for Lumira. We want our heads around exactly where we will be when we descend. We're inspecting diving gear, ensuring everything is in optimal condition. We're checking every single thing about this mission and making sure that everything we have on board is good and ready to go. When we're done with that, out on the open deck, you know, now we're just kind of waiting to get there. You could just feel that cool ocean breeze, a little more brisk in the morning. As we got closer to the dive point and as we approached, though, everything kind of slowed down. You know, the engines cut to a near silent hum, and then we just stopped. We were there, the location of the potential sunken city of Lumira might lay right below us in that moment. Was this legend true? Well, it's time to explore and find out. We get anchored and I just take a moment and look out onto the horizon and I, I wanted to remember this moment because this is something that I haven't heard anyone finding yet. We could be the first ones and this could be something extraordinary. You know, I couldn't help feel that mix of excitement and apprehension, kind of like Dr. Simmons. This dive won't just be about finding a lost city. It's kind of about understanding a story, a legend, and the truths behind it and being able to witness the origins of a legend. I mean, that's just amazing. And, you know, we just love that. Dr. Natalie Simmons is there, of course. And like I said, she'd brought someone. She wasn't alone. 
Now, normally, I don't like to have extra people on a job. You guys probably know that. Sometimes, though, the requester will accompany us on the work that we do. But I'd say, you know, 90% plus of the time that we're working, we're working alone. But in this case, we had a special request from Dr. Simmons. She brought a man named Blake Thornton. They had been a team for many years already together. They share a history steeped in research and countless missions. To her, he's not just another team member. He's Dr. Simmons' right-hand man, her trusted sidekick. In every research expedition or mission, I mean, Blake is a constant presence, serving as her backup. And, you know, she made it clear to me, they have a bond that they have built over many years of collaboration. And at first, you know, I flat out denied her request because I didn't see the necessity of having him there and he's a liability. And, you know, I don't like having extras on my job, but she pleaded with me basically and told me that the reason she always ensures Blake is by her side is because of his deep understanding of her work. And should anything unforeseen happen to her, what would happen to all of the work she's done? She knows that Blake has the knowledge and capability to carry forward her legacy. And that's, you know, more than what she's probably reported, certainly more than she shared with all her colleagues. But he knows all of it, and he could help see her projects to completion. She even used my team as a comparison because, of course, I have all my guys, and, of course, they would be there should anything happen to me. Certainly, they would carry on the legacy that we have built and pass down the knowledge. So I did respect that, and because she came to me with this special plea in private, I decided to honor her request. I do have to say, though, I wasn't in, you know, totally excited about that decision, and I let the team know that you know, we're going to have to keep a special eye on this you know, extra person, this Blake, because that's just how we are. We have an agreement with Dr. Simmons, and that is who we trust, and I'm extending the courtesy to Blake because of her, but we don't have any direct experience with Blake. We haven't even talked to him before now. And so unfortunately for him, he's someone that we will be watching. But okay, we get it all set up. We're there. We are on the vessel. The dive begins. After Frankie, Harley, Jagger, and I go and begin our descent, now there's no turning back. Coming up on the scene finally, we could see what Dr. Simmons meant. If there was supposed to be some kind of old runes here, there were not. No buildings, no old structures or anything like that. But could there be Lumerians there? We know they have a type of cloaking. And to help counter their camouflage, I employed a device equipped with LiDAR technology. It was originally meant for mapping the topographical intricacies of the ocean bed, but on that day, it was my eyes. Every pulse it sent out was a potential clue, a chance to catch a disruption in the expected patterns. You know, catch those things that you don't expect to see because they shouldn't be there. And then our developers equipped us with this special type of AR technology. Like the goggles, but not the goggles. It's all inside our full face dive masks. And everything was synced up too. So basically through my AR, I could see or detect any anomalies in light reflection and refraction because it was hooked up to that device and so on and so on, right? So everything was connected. So with each step, I was scanning the surroundings and we're all doing this, watching for the faintest of shadows or hints of figures against the very dark backdrop down there. And this area was large. It's not like we were walking a straight line. It covered a good area. And I was actually glad that I had those weighted boots on because they really kept our feet firmly planted on the ocean floor 
as we made our way. And because we knew there could be something out there that we just can't see, it just kind of felt nice to be grounded to something. The dense, inky waters, they were disorienting at times. I mean, imagine being surrounded by an infinite expanse of midnight blue. It was from our lights, and only a few meters ahead were visible at any given time. It created this bubble-like feeling, as though we were kind of trapped in our own small little world, constantly expanding as we moved forward. The only noises were the rhythmic sounds of our breathing and the distant, muted calls of unknown marine life. Occasionally, this device that I'm wearing would ping, indicating a potential disruption, right? And as I focused, the AR overlay would faintly highlight a shape, a movement, or a shift in the colors of the seabed. These were exciting moments, but we weren't having any party yet. I will say, though, that with all of that, I was getting more and more convinced that those Lumerians were there. While we're looking around... You know, I'm thinking this, and I'm also thinking, you know, hey, they probably are there, and they're just watching us. They're studying us. They're looking at us, and they're wondering, you know, what we're doing, and maybe if we're a threat. If this legend is true, they were once humans in their history, and they still today come up and observe us. I'd be a lot better if we could just let them know that we were friendly and we weren't a threat, but we can't do this, and we don't even know if they're really there right now. But it sure seems like they could be. As we continued our trek, my device pinged more frequently, suggesting we were getting closer to something or someone. The figures remained faint, mere whispers against the backdrop of the abyss. But now they seemed to move in patterns. It was changing. Not just the random flow of marine life. Their motions were too synchronized, too deliberate, and it was standing out. We began to see brief glimmers of reflected light, like quicksilver flashes, just at the periphery of our vision. It was the very essence of the Lumerian's rumored camouflage, reminding me of how a cuttlefish might rapidly change its colors to match its surroundings. Each flash was followed by a gentle pulse in the water, like a heartbeat, or perhaps a communication. Every so often we'd notice an ethereal silhouette mirroring our actions, mimicking our movements as if trying to communicate or maybe understand us. It felt surreal, akin to a dance. Their curiosity was intense and it mirrored our own. The boundaries between the observer and the observed started to blur, right? They started to blend. And then we started to feel little brushes against our suits, a fleeting touch that felt neither threatening nor entirely human. It was soft, almost jelly-like, and left a brief luminescent trail on the fabric that faded in a matter of seconds. Just as we thought the patterns in the sand were the peak of our interaction, one of the Lumerians seemed to stir the water, creating this small whirlpool. Soon, another Lumerian did the same, and yet another. I glanced at Frankie, who, with a grin, gestured that, hey, we should respond. We each chose a small pebble from the ocean floor and we started making our own little whirlpools. And before we knew it, we were engaged in a playful whirlpool contest of sorts. Every time we stirred, the Lumerians would respond with a bigger whirlpool and then we would try to outdo them. At some point, Harley decided to go very big, causing this massive swirl, which was 
promptly outdone by a Lumerian causing an even bigger stir. I mean, it was actually getting funny, to be honest. We were having a good time. Floating there in the watery deep, we were having a laugh, really, competing in a ridiculous, lighthearted game with ancient beings that we didn't fully understand. And then it was in that shared moment of camaraderie, just as Jagger was about to, you know, initiate his whirlpool, sure he'd be the winner, that we felt the ominous vibration. In the midst of our joyful interaction, an unsettling silence enveloped us. The playful whirlpools stopped, and the surrounding waters grew heavy, charged with an electrifying tension. The Lumerians seemed to freeze, their ethereal forms suddenly rigid. From the ink-black void ahead, two enormous eyes appeared, glowing, predatory, and pulsating with a primal hunger. Without warning, an enormous creature erupted from the shadows, its gargantuan maw wide open, revealing rows upon rows of serrated teeth. The very water around us vibrated with its roar, a sound so profound and primeval it sent chills up our spines. This was not just a creature. This felt more like a relic of time, long past, when monstrous leviathons or something ruled the deep. Sand and silt swirled, blinding us in a murky tempest as this behemoth lunged. We braced ourselves, fearing the, you know, inevitable. But in that fleeting second of sheer terror, the Lumerians, they unveil their true magnificence. Materializing from seemingly nowhere, their radiant forms became luminous beacons in the aquatic chaos. Their bioluminescence intensifies, and it casts intricate patterns of light that start dancing and twirling, ensnaring this creature's attention. Then, with a synchronicity that was almost musical, the Lumerians harnessed a force we couldn't fathom, compelling this leviathan to halt its advance. Mesmerized, the creature paused, its gargantuan form floating as if caught in a trance. With gestures as fluid as water, the Lumerians gracefully redirected its trajectory, guiding the ancient beast away from us, back into the abyss from whence it came. Once the imminent danger had passed, our saviors turned their gazes upon us, their figures now fully tangible and even more awe-inspiring. And, you know, although their forms bore semblance to our own, you know, they looked a little bit like us, but they emanated a grace and elegance that was otherworldly. We were there taking it all in, their appearances, and it became clear that they were not mere humans. Delicate gills adorned the sides of their necks, barely visible but undeniably functional, suggesting an existence finely tuned to both water and air. Their skin carried an iridescent sheen, almost as if they were one with the water around them. Even though we were in dive gear, we could feel a pulse of energy emanating from them, a telltale sign that we were in the presence of beings far removed from our own evolutionary path. I mean, this is how you would turn out if what happened to them happened to you. Well, they beckoned us to follow with this gentle wave, hinting at a world beyond our wildest imaginations, Lumira, a world they were willing to share. The mysteries of Lumira awaited. The legends had barely scratched the surface. We were diving into an epic tale, one that had been waiting eons to be told. 
and the next chapter was ours to discover. So as we journeyed further, the waters around us began to shift in hue from the deep forbidding blackness to a kaleidoscope of shimmering blues and purples, our surroundings grew clearer, revealing the grandeur of Lumira. Massive crystalline structures towered above us, stretching as far as the eye could see. They pulsed with a gentle light, reminiscent of the bioluminescence of the Lumerians themselves, making the city look as though it were alive. These weren't buildings as we knew them, but rather organic formations nurtured by the Lumerians, blending seamlessly with their environment. Bridges made of coral and seashells connected the towers, and every so often we'd catch glimpses of Lumerians gracefully gliding between them, their forms leaving a trail of soft light in their wake. Schools of luminescent fish swam amidst the structures, their radiant scales reflecting the city's glow, adding to its ethereal beauty. The heart of Lumeria was an expansive plaza where a harmonious blend of nature and Lumerian craftsmanship was on full display. Coral gardens adorned with exotic undersea flora flourished here, attended by Lumerians who seemed to communicate with the plants through touch and song. What truly captured our attention, however, was the city's central monument, a massive, translucent monolith that pulsed with an ever-changing spectrum of colors. Lumerians congregated around it, their hands extended, absorbing and transmitting energy in a symbiotic exchange. It became evident that this was more than just a monument. It was a source of life, a beacon of their collective consciousness. We were led to a chamber carved out of a single enormous pearl, where the air, or rather the water, felt different. It was charged with a unique energy. Here, the Lumerians communicated with us, not through words, but through shared emotions and visions, something they were putting on us. They revealed their history, their evolution, and their deep connection to the ocean and its many mysteries. In the heart of the Pearl Chamber, we were surrounded by walls that seemed to come alive with visual narratives, moving frescoes. We watched their history unfold, a great meteor impacting Earth, carrying with it unique microorganisms that bonded with human DNA, the Lemurians and their catastrophic event, and the sinking of their entire island, their slow transformation, the embracing of bioluminescence, the merging with marine life forms to adapt and survive. Throughout their history, Lumerians seem to have been the guardians of the oceans, ensuring harmony in its vast depths, guiding its evolution. As each vision passed, I felt their pains, their joys, their hopes, their dreams. It was a communal memory bank, emotions raw and intense. During a lighter moment in our ethereal journey, a group of younger Lumerians seemed curious about our team, and they circled around Harley. You know, she's a pretty gentle person, and, you know, she's just there, not doing anything. But this young Lumerian seemed almost in a trance over the fact that here were people in a foreign environment, but they were so calm. Well, one brave Lumerian approached, placing a delicate, glowing hand upon Harley's. And in that small, quick minute, they seemed to form a kind of connection. 
you know, they were really interested in who we were and what we were doing there, but they knew we were approachable. So in our eyes, they were just studying our reactions and who we were. Now, Frankie, our giant, he was another spectacle for them. His impressive stature, okay, contrasted significantly with the Lumerians' graceful forms. They seemed both kind of curious and amused to see him that close, you know, up and close and personal. And he kind of tries to mimic them back, acting like they do, fluid and smooth, and he's moving his hands and turning around, and you can see that they're enjoying this. He is actually entertaining them. And, you know, once he started, he just couldn't stop. As the shared visions and emotions began to fade, a senior Lumerian approached. Placing her hand over my heart, she conveyed a final poignant message. It was that their world and ours were not separate, that they are intertwined in ways we are only beginning to understand, that our actions above directly impact their realm below and vice versa. She was well aware of this, and she made it clear that if any of us are to survive on this planet, then we all need to take care to make sure that we do. True statement. With our time in Lumira coming to an end, the Lumirians guided us to the city's outer limits. The glow in the Pearl Chamber started to dim, signaling our imminent departure. We each felt a weight in our hearts. Not from the pressure of the deep ocean, but from the emotional depth of the journey we'd just experienced. The elder Lumerian who'd communicated their collective consciousness to us now approached, extending a slender, glowing hand to each member of the team. As I took her hand, a rush of emotions, gratitude, hope, and a touch of sadness passed between us. It was their way of saying goodbye, a final exchange of memories and feelings. As we began our ascent, the luminescence of Lumira faded, gradually replaced by that inky darkness of the deep sea. But there was a change. The path we took was now lit by a guiding trail of bioluminescent marine life, escorting us safely back to the edge of their world. And then, soon enough, we were there. Emerging from the water's embrace, the thrill of our recent discovery still coursed through my veins. The deck of our boat welcomed us back with the familiarity of creaking wood and the salt-kissed air. Harley starts taking off her gear, stowing it away. You can just see the grin on her face. Frankie, he's effortlessly hauling up some of the heavier equipment, but his face is beaming with the same childlike wonder. But now, while the atmosphere on deck was one of jubilation, something did feel off. As I reached for a bottle of water, my eyes caught Blake's movements. At first, it was, you know, it seemed innocuous. He was merely adjusting his tablet, perhaps checking on the data transmission. But then I noticed the way he discreetly placed something on Dr. Simmons' chair. A fleeting glance, a hasty action. It might have gone unnoticed by most. But my instincts, they were screaming otherwise at me. My gaze turned sharper, almost observant. Blake's eyes darted around, his fingers flying over the screen in a manner that wasn't just checking for transmission. There was a certain urgency to his actions, a hurriedness that wasn't there before. It wasn't long before I pieced it together. The device displayed a cascade of data, unmistakably Dr. Simmons' research. Why did Blake have it like that, and why was he being so secretive? Well, the joviality of the moment began to ebb replaced by a growing tension. 
Harley, perceptive as always, followed my gaze and her joyful expression morphed into one of suspicion. Both Frankie and Jagger sensed the shift. They tensed. They were ready to spring into action if necessary. I mean, suddenly everything felt too quiet, too still. The joy of discovery now overshadowed by the looming threat of betrayal. Blake's intentions were no longer just questionable. They were clear, and with that realization, the battle for Lumira's secrets had truly begun. The scene before me was unsettling. I mean, there's Blake clutching the stolen data, an unmistakable threat. On instinct, I move silently toward Dr. Simmons, ensuring my approach wouldn't alert Blake. The gravity of my intent must have been clear, as Dr. Simmons' gaze followed mine, landing on Blake. Her expression shifted subtly, a mix of realization and alarm. However, before she could act on this new information, chaos ensued. Sensing he was cornered, Blake darted for the deck, his movements suggesting a desperate attempt to flee to who knows where or maybe send out a signal. But Jagger spots him and intercepts him. But Blake's desperate, and the two of them grappled, a flurry of movement against the backdrop of the vast ocean. Jagger, with his training, had the upper hand, of course, but Blake's desperation gave him a wild, unpredictable edge. Seeing the struggle intensify, Frankie, with his imposing frame and strength, he moves fast. With a single, well-placed grip, he halted the scuffle, rendering Blake immobile. The duck fell silent again, except for the heavy breaths of the men and the gentle lapping of the waves against the boat. With Blake secured, my attention shifted back to Dr. Simmons. Her features were ashen, yet resolute. She could see my concern and responded only with a slight shake of her head, her eyes still locked onto Blake with a clear blend of betrayal and indignation. It was evident she was ready to address the situation once we reached the shore. True to our word, Blake remained our captive until we docked. The moment we reached the shore, he was handed over to Dr. Simmons and her security detail. They would deal with him and the stolen data. Later, as the sun dipped below the horizon, we reconvened at our undisclosed location, the day's events weighing heavily on all of us. But amidst the tension and uncertainty, a new resolve had formed. We would protect the secrets of Lumira, whatever the cost. So, after we were all cleaned up and everyone had a small break, it was time to follow up with Dr. Simmons. The evening's shadows stretched long and deep as Frankie and I approached Dr. Simmons' temporary base, a nondescript building humming with the energy of contained knowledge. Its quiet exterior... A good cover for the bustling research activity inside. Frankie, with his formidable presence, was a solid, reassuring silhouette beside me, prepared for any potential threat that might emerge. After Blake's actions, I wanted to bring Frankie with me. Once inside, the air was thick with concentration. Screens flickered with data streams, and the muted sounds of distant conversations punctuated the atmosphere. We navigated through the building, taking note of the maze of makeshift labs, the walls plastered with charts and maps and images of Lumira. In a makeshift conference room, Dr. Simmons stood waiting, exhaustion evident in her posture, yet her eyes retained that familiar spark of determination. She motioned towards a screen showing the retrieved data, evidence of Blake's treachery, 
The implications were clear. There were others out there hungry for Lumira's secrets. Frankie's eyes swept the room. Always alert, his instincts were on high. He subtly gestured towards some of the exit points, a silent strategy forming, should the need for quick action arise. Dr. Simmons, meanwhile, seemed engrossed in the data, her fingers occasionally tracing patterns on the screen. The weight of responsibility was heavy. She seemed to understand the need for tighter security and discretion, her every move echoing the sentiment of safeguarding Lumira's secrets. We had our meeting. Not much of it I can discuss here, but we did have an understanding. Keep Lumira safe. Dr. Simmons had her data and now her secrets. She had Blake to handle and anybody else. And you know, what's sad about this really is that Dr. Simmons knew that this was not something she could report on, on any kind of level that could be threatening to it, to Lumira, to the legend, to the people. And so if we really look around our world, and she knew this, that means that nobody can really know about it, which is unfortunate, because who could she really trust at the end of the day? Who would not turn greedy? Who would not turn it into something it should not be? That's something she could not have a guarantee on. And so for now, that is why the secret is safe with her. As Frankie and I left the base, the night around us seemed just a little bit darker, the stakes higher. Yet with the collective commitment of those dedicated to Lemire's protection, there was hope that its secrets would remain untouched by prying eyes. You know, in that meeting with Dr. Simmons, I did bring up the fact that I share some of my jobs in the way that I do, and we discussed that option in this case. I told her it was fine if we just kept the job a job because there are a lot, many, that I have to do that with, but surprisingly, she was not one of those. To Dr. Simmons, it was the Blakes of the world that cannot know about this. How can we know them all? We can't know who they all could be. But what we can do is share with anyone who is willing to listen that these kinds of things do exist. And because it is one world, everything that we do does matter. I guess you could say it'd be a lesson in narcissism and why not to have it. Because people like Blake see something this amazing and they want the success that could come from it for themselves. He's not sitting there just glad that he knows about it and could even witness some of it. Oh no, that would never satisfy someone like that. Telling the story here, no, you don't know where it is. You don't know what all exactly happened with the Lumerians and you don't have the data. But you guys don't need the data. You appreciate just knowing. And that's what I explained to Dr. Simmons and she chose your side. So you can thank her for this job today because this one is on Natalie. And that's my story today, guys, about the job we did deep in the ocean, proving legends. I hope you enjoyed it listening today. This story is just a small piece of everything. I have more jobs and more stories to share. So check back and thank you for listening. I always appreciate you taking the time to be here with me. Until next time, guys, and I will talk to you all soon.
The Legend of Lumira. Whispers have long echoed through the ages about Lumira, a city of wondrous beauty and magic. As tales go, Lumira was once a city above the waves, its spires touching the heavens, its streets paved with gold, and its citizens living in harmony. However, due to their hubris or perhaps fate's cruelty, a calamity struck, sinking Lumira beneath the ocean. Survivors of this catastrophe, it was said, were transformed into luminescent beings, half human, half ethereal, by the star visitors, otherworldly entities that had descended from the skies. These beings rescued the Lumerians, bestowing upon them the ability to survive in the watery depths. But in exchange, the Lumerians would guard an ancient artifact left behind by these aliens. This artifact was said to contain powers beyond human comprehension. We were finally getting to find out what really happened to the Lumerians. And upon meeting them, the story became even clearer. So let me just sum it up for you in a way you can understand. I don't need to go through the whole way that we learned it. The Lumerians had undergone physical and genetic changes, but not solely due to the water or their technology. As they unveiled their history, it was revealed that eons ago, a benevolent extraterrestrial race had visited Earth. They had forged a bond with the Lumerians, sharing knowledge and DNA. And now we heard about this from the journal before. There were whispers of this, but no one really knew what was going on. The sinking of Lumira wasn't a mere accident, okay? The real story is it was a mutual decision between the Lumerians and their alien allies to protect a powerful artifact. This artifact, a beacon of sorts, was vital for the extraterrestrials and it was left in the care of the Lumerians. And you know, guys, we've heard of this happening before, okay? As part of this agreement, the Lumerians were granted certain enhancements through a fusion of their DNA with the alien's DNA that would allow them to survive and thrive underwater. This genetic meld gave rise to their luminescence and other aquatic adaptations. The star visitors, as we heard in the legend, they didn't transform them like the legend said, but rather they co-evolved, maintaining their symbiotic relationship. The ethereal glow, the artifact's guardian, and the deep bond with the otherworldly allies were now integral to the Lumerian culture. These Lumerians, they were not just victims of fate. They were custodians of a cosmic legacy. I mean, this was bigger than any of us even imagined. And this real story is what cemented their place here on Earth. 